And maybe you should uh, grab your metal trays because the menu today is mashed potatoes with gravy. It's a prison joke from that. Oh, oh, oh. Don't drop the soap. Oh, that's a good prison joke. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> no, it's actually goat milk soap. It's really lovely. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen, and I think 80 degrees is sweltering. <laughs> Joining me today is Patrick Klepek. And I'm wondering, is a, is a Costco inflatable hot tub going to get rid of my passive certification on my home? Because I love my Costco inflatable hot tub. And I'm just, I'm going to have to ask Whitney about that later. All right. Well, those are vague and oblique references to the fact that today on Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing The Curse, Episode 5, It's a Good Day. You can find more episodes of this podcast at DecodingTV.com and at podcast.DecodingTV.com. Email us at DecodingTV at gmail.com and find us across all platforms at DecodingTV. Uh, now, Patrick Klepek, you know, uh, I feel like the season of The Curse is rock and rolling. We're getting emails coming in and comments coming in left and right. Uh, with, uh, we are so back, David. Fear, like we, with theories, you know? We had we had last episode, you know, we're like, oh, kind of a middle, you know, so like, yeah. things are happening. We'll see where we're going. And then you and I, after we recorded, like, we're both like, all right, I, I'm going to say like, almost immediately what the next episode has to bring. And I think I beat you to it. Yes, you I started, watched it before me. We yeah. recorded in the morning and then I started watching part of it at lunch and was like, Yo, yo, <laughs> it's like you have to watch. We're back, baby. Like the yeah. anxiety is back. Don't you indeed. worry. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right. So there's a bunch of little like corrections to stuff. Like we record these podcasts early before the episode comes out. So there's a bunch of like little corrections from the last few weeks that I do want to mention. Um, first of all, from episode three, uh, there was uh, some comment about the blueberries and what he was doing with the blueberries and how he messed up the couch. Apparently, right. it was a a smear of dirty finger blueberry fingers on the couch cushion. Uh, that apparently was what happened there with the blueberries, according to uh, Zach from DecodingTV.com. Uh, Shane at DecodingTV.com also mentioned that the show makes it clear early on that it was Dougie's wife who died in the crash during the blind date scene. The woman says early on something like, so that's why nobody talks to you anymore? And he responds, well, all of my friends were also my wife's friends, so pretty much. And, uh, okay. uh, and I just wanted to point that out, not just because, Patrick, you seemed convinced that there was no mention of them, this character being his wife, but also because... It just shows how strong the naturalistic dialogue of the show is. Like we watch, like we watch this show often twice before we record these episodes. Yeah. Um, and Patrick takes extremely detailed notes. I take notes, like, and so, but we're still missing stuff. You know, we're still missing like little details. And uh, the show's dialogue is just really naturalistic and feels very authentic. It's not, you know, Dougie doesn't sit down and say, "So let me tell you the story of my wife in the car accident." You know, you're just right into it and. Uh, I thought this comment really illustrated that very well. And, and the fact, you know, the fact that we missed it illustrates like, yeah, they, they, it was there, but also in a very realistic way. And also, by the way, in a way that illustrates more about who Dougie is, which is um, all of my friends were also my wife's friends, which is like one of <laughs> like a pretty sad, pretty I, sad statement. That's, you know? that's, yeah, that's a really, there may, somehow we missed that phrasing, David, and that might be the most upsetting way to self-describe oneself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember. I, I I feel like I have like some memory of it, but yeah, we didn't bring it up in the in the podcast. So, but it was a good good call out, and yeah, uh, you know, I just think the dialogue in the show is really great overall. So, yeah. Uh, somebody named Rachel emailed into decodingtv at gmail.com saying, you and Patrick were discussing the relationship between Dougie and Asher and how it would play out. Did you catch that Dougie called Asher Incher <laughs> in I think the second episode? I gasped, but Asher didn't even react. It makes sense now when Dougie tries to atone for his past bullying, but Asher doesn't compute. He even mentions pantsing Asher in a bathing suit at camp, and my mind needs to be control-alt-deleted at even the imaginary thought of it. End quote. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because the for, the pilot makes such a, you know, the cherry tomato boys like like we there's a there's a big emphasis on that part of. Yeah, Asher psyche uh, early on, and obviously we're getting kind of references to like I the Incher one went. I, I sort of gasped when I read that email. I was like, "Oh my god, that's such a horrific name to give to somebody if they were self conscious about something like that at at a, at a whatever age that that he was being bullied." But yeah, I, I, I some of that stuff has I think it speaks to the nature, like as you said, of the show and and how its dialogue is presented, in which 
in a different kind of show, these moments would be heralded as revelations, like shows pause, mm. yeah. underscore, bold, italicized. Call Ducky called him incher. You know, like that would be a big thing. It but would it's sit. Like, the music would like, uh, you, there would be ways that shows other shows or even right. show like other, other ways of shooting even this show would call attention to moments like that that felt like world building and whatever, however you want to phrase it. And here it just kind of throws a lot of things at, it's just, yeah. Naturalistic yeah. is a great way to put it. And I think it's, it makes part of watching a show like this, even though it's less like kind of naturally, it's not, it's not like a mystery box show, but because of the way it's filmed, edited, presented, I think it does really well for the format of you and I watching it with a community because like things that people are pointing out, I don't feel like I missed huge like you know plot plot holes or like plot chunks but it's just like these tiny details that the show is paying attention to and like close observers can also pay attention to that adds up to a a more interesting picture absolutely olivia writes into decoding tv at gmail.com and she you know olivia points out something that i wanted to mention the last couple episodes and i never really um never really articulated it quite clearly um olivia writes in uh, my brother-in-law had an interesting theory that I wanted to share as I thought it was compelling. He was noting the voyeuristic nature of the camera angles and the audience feeling that we're watching something we're not supposed to see. His thought is that Dougie had positioned hidden cameras in various locations, like their house, the strip mall, in order to get some earnest and gritty footage of Asher and Whitney in order to bolster the otherwise boring scenes, Dougie's words. There is definitely a distinction between the sneakiness of the camera angle in, say, the scene where they're all watching the focus group footage versus the scene of Emma Stone in the office in the most recent episode. Security cameras are also often highlighted, which gives the overall sense that something potentially damaging will be caught on film. I like this idea and could see it playing out in a few ways. Maybe he catches something controversial or compelling that he thinks would be good for the show, and Asher and Whitney have to decide if their attachment to fame trumps their need to control their own narrative or image. Either way, I trust we will see these two characters grow increasingly unscrupulous as the season progresses and possibly also turn against one another if their individual desires are threatened. Curious to know your thoughts, end quote. I will, I will say that uh, what is definitely true about what Olivia is saying here is the voyeuristic camera angles. And I, I, I can't believe I haven't even really articulated it again until this point, but basically every camera angle in this show is done as though it was a hidden camera or a candid camera or a documentary camera. Meaning that uh, a lot of it takes place in one long continuous shot. Uh, the camera movements are very slow and deliberate. Like it's like the camera's on a tripod and it's kind of like panning back and forth often. And it uses an extremely long lens. So it often feels like they're, uh, the, the camera person is really far away from the subject, like 10, 20, 30 feet, which is often not how... A typical show is shot. Sometimes the camera's right in your face, right? But sometimes it seems like they're shooting a scene from literally across the street from where the scene is taking place. And so a lot of the camera angles are very voyeuristic and feels like it could be a documentary crew. Now, I think that's just to evoke the feeling of a documentary crew. I don't think there's actually a documentary crew filming what we see because there's a lot of camera angles that would be basically impossible. Like... um in Asher's house, you know, for instance, or, uh, you know, uh, Whitney and Asher's house. Like, I don't know. I didn't go back and check, like, but it just feels like it would be very difficult for them to not know about the existence of some of these cameras. Maybe they're supposed to be hidden cameras. though. I don't know. I can't definitively say that, uh, that I don't agree with Olivia there, but I do agree that it's meant to be voyeuristic and it definitely creates a certain feeling. Patrick Klepek, your thoughts on Olivia's theory. I really enjoyed reading this. I read this email before watching the most recent episode that we're about to discuss. And there is a shot in particular. It's like that, that email just sat in the back of my head. Like, huh? Like, I wonder if, if, there, if there is like breadcrumbs some sort of like a meta narrative here that we're just not seeing the full picture of, because it won't become clear until later. And I don't want to get too into the specific, but there's a moment where Whitney is surprised by some guests that appear uh, at their shoot. And, goes running off to deal with it. And the way the camera is like, like it's almost like it's being fumbled by the camera operator to mm -hmm. get to, to crane, right. to get a shot that is beyond some uh, like trees or bushes that yeah, like yeah. it's, it struck me as like, so uh, like, it's such an odd 
choice. It's not a pan. Like it really feels like someone jumbled the camera on their way over there. It feels like what you would actually behave like if you were filming a documentary or reality show, which is you don't know what's going to happen. And so you're struggling to keep up with the action. Right. And and so, and so that made me think like, well, if this proves true, like shots like this are going to be some of the giveaways. I'm like this, what may end up becoming like what we're watching is something more complicated than what we think what we're watching. Um, but it also may be the case that I know you the whole blueberry point uh, from several episodes ago was was illustrating the kind of the filmmaking style means, uh, I think, as you put it, you're more familiar with the technical terms like coverage shots, right? Like they're just yeah. working with less footage yeah. to show things. So it's t- like I love reading an email like that because it starts to make me think hmm, maybe something really wild is going on here. Yeah, but then, yeah. then you explain like how some of the filmmaking is working. And then it makes me think, well, maybe that's just. That was the shot they had. They rolled with it. And like, it looks a little awkward in the transition, but it, you know, because of the, the voyeuristic style that they're running with, it doesn't break the feel of the show. And, and you know, it, it ends right. up working, even though it seems like perhaps kind of amateurish, uh, like if you were to take it out of, out of context, right. but it's an interesting it's- theory. I think, I think more likely my thought is they're both right and wrong. And that we're not watching some sort of like metatextual work that we don't understand how it all fits together. But these things, like, I think they can still be correct in that, that tension, like those, like the panning to security cameras, the surveillance state sort of feel that is going to play out in the narrative in the second half in a way that I don't think we quite grasp fully yet. Very, very possibly. I mean, whatever the case is, it's definitely a, a deliberate decision, a deliberate creative decision. It has a feel, it creates a specific feel as you're watching it. What it all adds up to, I do not know yet yeah right but maybe it will add up to something really interesting we'll get to find out and we'll be talking about it right here on decoding tv thank you so much to all the emails at decoding tv at gmail.com uh really appreciate people engaging with the podcast and with the show say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100 percent online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. All right, uh, Patrick Klepek, let's talk about episode five uh, of The Curse. It's a good day. Overall thoughts on this one, Patrick Klepek? Oh, this is a banger. Like this, this, this I mean, I, I hated this episode. I hated it. <laughs> I, I loathed it. I did not have a good time. And by that, I mean, like, just um, nom, 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 nom. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like the show really never lost its footing. But this, like, the, everything about the arc of this entire episode felt like a lot of different plot threads, like, coming to, coming home here. A lot of anxieties over characters like Whitney. Uh, like really bursting through, like we're starting to see like a lot of holes have been poked in our characters and the dam hasn't fully broken on all of them and their relationships. But like in this episode, like the water's really coming out. Like, like you're holding, people are holding it back, but like the, the boards are creaking and like, we are, I don't, I still don't know, you know, this is getting a little ahead of myself in terms of having seen the hub. So like, I still don't really know like where this is going. And that remains more exciting <laughs> like every time we get to an end of an episode and i've had a good time and i don't know where we're going in some ways it raises the stakes for where does it land but also in a world in which i usually feel like i can kind of see the broad strokes of where a show is going and it's just kind of interesting to see how i'm surprised along the way i just have no i just have no idea where this show is going to land and so every episode is kind of its own fun box to open up and i just felt this one hit like all like all it was playing all the hits but like at exactly the right notes like when mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know on the first episode like it's fun to joke about the cherry tomato boys and like it is funny but in, in many ways i feel like some scenes like that edged a little too far like it felt Fr- a phrasing too... yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
ah, ah. It um. But yes, I, I understand. We and we, we both cartoon, cartoonish. Right, right. Like, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like um, this one rides the line and is just everything I love about the show mm-hmm. operating at exactly the frequency that I wanted to. I, I thought it was a, an excellent episode, top to bottom. I think I also really enjoyed the episode. I think you need to open your mind to the possibility that it's not going to go anywhere. Like, I, I, like, yeah. And what I mean by that is like having seen the first five, the first half of the show now, I think there's a real possibility at this point, nothing happens or adds up to anything. Um, now I, I don't think that's the most likely outcome. Like I think there's all these like, Subplot, like where what happened with the journalist and the footage that he stole from the casino you know like there's all this stuff that still ha- like all these like uh you know things fuses that have been lit you know that that are going to go, go off. off the show's too gonna... smart right like it's it's but, like but, but at this point they're they're lighting so many fuses that I'm like I don't know how they're going to be able to wrap all of these things up and so I do think it's but but if the if there is no satisfying resolution to many of these subplots I still think the show will have accomplished what it's what it's meant to yeah, be. I don't which is care. Like, I guess it's, like, I guess that's part yeah. of it. Is that right, I right, don't, right, yeah, yeah. I you know many times when you and I have talked about shows, you, right. you can you can't like, let's get say incre- Ahsoka. You know, right. for instance, you're increasingly yeah. hoping that where it's going is going to help justify your journey along the way, and it's fine for a story to structure it that way. Although I think it can, that comes with its own weaknesses, where you are you are hanging so much on the end for the, the stuff in the beginning and the middle, especially in the middle of, of stories, to, to make sense or feel good or retroactively kind of slot together. And here I am with you. Like, I believe the show is going to have maybe not a period. It might be like a dot, dot, dot uh, um, <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. But the yeah, I don't jer- think there's going to be some big satisfying moment at the end where we're like, wow, that all paid off. You know, like, no, I don't, but I, I think the ju- yeah. it's a journey show, right? Yeah. Like, vi- yeah. sometimes you can describe it as a vibe show. I think that is not... Yeah. They're, the vibe, the vibes are immaculate. Well, there's yeah, something. the vibes are immaculate. The vibes are incredibly uncomfortable, cringe, and excruciating. You know, that's what that's what it is. I, 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 that's primarily what it has been so far. Now, it might become something else in the next five episodes, but, um, but if it's basically, I'm saying, if all we got were the vibes, Patrick Klepek, that was enough. You know, yeah, yeah I'm with you. Right. I, yeah. I, these highs are high enough that I kind of don't care. I mean, I yeah. do because it'd be obvious. Yeah. I think it would be the kind of thing that elevates it from like a really interesting show to like, Oh my, like, Oh, like a complete work. Um, um, and then frankly, some ways makes it easier to pitch it to other people. It's like, okay, I know you're going to feel really uncomfortable right. during most of this. Yeah. Like we haven't talked about this, but like the split and critic and rotten tomato score on this uh-huh. show is like, unbelievable. Like it is just complete other ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and it having, some sort of ending in some ways would make it easier to tell other people like right hey, like it's like, worth the journey you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it has a 96 93 percent Rotten Tomatoes uh critic score 30 percent audience score <laughs> yeah. yeah brutal I don't brutal. know is it though I would honestly like it's it's brutal in the sense that of course you would probably want to show to have those like more aligned but I think that speaks pretty like the show is alienating. Like mm-hmm. it's meant mm-hmm. to make you uncomfortable. And so the fact that there's nothing about this show that's like, come on in, like c- come hang out. You know what I mean? Like from the jump, this show mm-hmm. is essentially is extremely honest. It's extremely forthright. And it's doing that from the opening moments of the show and never wavers, never changes. And so I'm not shocked, but my guess is that 70% that hates it really hates it. And the 30% that loves it, yeah, really loves it because that's 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 the intention that the show show has, and I think I think it's better for it. I think I I like even if the show didn't end up working for me, even though it it is, I like it when works are just trying to speak directly to an audience, that either gets it or doesn't get it, and and this show is doing that. Well, at least for the two of us, <laughs> and we, we can only the- hope we can only hope that uh, we we will ever create art that is ever that polarizing. You know, right? That's uh, that's all all we can hope for in life. So. Anyway, those are our overall thoughts on the episode. All right, Patrick, let's get into a detailed recap and spoilery summary of The Curse Season uh, 1, Episode 5, It's a Good Day. So we open on filming for Whitney and Ash's reality show with two prospective buyers admiring the house. 
The uncomfortable and sweaty couple keeps getting instructions on how to act and talk from both Dougie and Whitney. We learn that Whitney is insistent that the buyer sign a letter signaling support for the San Pedro Pueblo's tribe's claims for local roads and possibly land. When Asher approaches the couple about signing the contract, they bring up the controversy with the Pueblo tribe, worried they might lose access to local roads or even possibly their home, and Asher tries to dismiss it as sensationalism. Inside the home itself, the couple banters with Asher and Whitney, leading to joking comparisons of the house's energy and efficiencies being similar to prison. Whitney uncomfortably asks the, the comparisons to stop, but the stress only increases as the tour goes on. When one of the buyers asks if it's possible to cool the house and it becomes clear Whitney takes issue with people finding faults in the design of her home. In between shots, Asher looks for his phone, which is strangely in the possession of Dougie. So that's how this episode opens. Uh, I think that there's something visually interesting about, you know, the, I think it opens with this couple who are like, supposed to be reacting to the house and they're getting instructions and the show wants us to question the nature of our reality and like to what extent what we're being shown is actually real at any given time i think you know it's mm-hmm. not it's not the main theme necessarily but it's definitely one of the themes um and yeah the you know i i just appreciate how nothing in the show feels like an accident there's a guy who's like really sweaty and it's like, oh, that's weird that they leave that in there. And then, of course, it becomes like a plot point, which is <laughs> he doesn't want to stay in the house because apparently it gets up to like 80 degrees and that's too hot for him. And uh, he doesn't like the natural cooling of the house. Um, and you can sense like the tension between these characters and how they all want different things and um, and how it's all going slowly sideways. Um, so I like this couple and and the tension they brought. Patrick, any thoughts on the opening sequence? Well, I love because it felt like we just dropped two normal people into a show full of yeah uh like decide, yeah decidedly yeah. yeah sure uh, uh uh and because i mean well you know how normal is it that they're able to you know purchase an eight hundred thousand like put all that kind of vast stuff uh, aside but this they just seem like oh they're interested in this home they're interested in buying a home and like you just kind of drop them in with all these accelerated characters that we've come to know over the past couple episodes and they ask just a completely normal question of like, so like it's, uh, it's a little hot in here. Like, what can I do about that? And it, if Whitney wasn't on camera, you think she would have grabbed a knife and taken the prison <laughs> analogy, like all the way home and mm-hmm. just shanked him uh, for, for not understanding how amazing the home is. And we've accounted for that. You asshole. And like all of that was, I, I thought it was really great. I'm with you. The, um, this show doesn't seem to be top level about like the deconstruction of reality shows, but obviously it is top, like it, it is like it is it is a running theme. It is, it is clearly cares about the nature of reality. I think it's using the reality show framing, but then obviously the you know the moment where they recreate kind of the Instagram moment, like it is it's versions it, it, of reality all the way down, like how we present ourselves, how the world is presented to us the lies we believe, the lies we choose to believe, and how all of those kind of interact with one another. Yeah, I, I think it's clearly made by people who are steeped in the reality show world. Like, they, they're they familiar with the conventions and what is required of it. Do you think they hate yeah. it? Because what I, what I wonder, like, yeah. you're someone that, like, watches a lot of reality TV, yes. likes a lot of reality TV, is doing lots of recaps of it at, at Decoding TV. So you you like reality TV, even though I'm sure you have all sorts of problems with it, criticism of different versions of the format. Do you get the sense in this show that they're cynical in the way that's like, I can't believe this shit even exists at all and people are suckers for watching it? Or do you sense an appreciation of the form that is coming from a place of like, I understand how this works. We're going to take it down, but it's not necessarily being knowingly condescending to an audience that might like watching a reality show in whatever form it might take. Yeah, I, I don't sense hatred at all from these filmmakers in general. I don't think like Nathan Fielder and Safdie like hate things. You know, I think that what they wish to do, if I were to surmise, is to reveal the truth behind it. You know, here is what goes into it. Here is like all the, you know, you think what you're watching is reality. Well, actually, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that seems to be mm-hmm. very a core part of specifically Nathan Fielder's brand is he wants to pull back the curtain just a little bit to show you like, hey, maybe don't trust exactly what you're being shown here. Um, but I don't sense they they hate it or anything. I, I I think they just, maybe they might be annoyed by people's acceptance, like people's blind acceptance of it. You know, I could see that happening. 
but I'm not sure. And hopefully they'll talk more about it when the show uh, goes on, as the show goes on and as it wraps up. Um, so uh, also amazing sequence where they're, they start making these wildly inappropriate prison jokes. Oh my God. And one of them says, don't drop the soap. And then she said, Whitney says, it's uh it's actually goat milk soap and it's really lovely. You know, I thought that was just an amazing. She's always trying to save it. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. Uh... <laughs> she's really, she's really trying to be immaculately put together for mm-hmm. the public. But the problem is, and I say this as somebody who tries like, who, who spends some amount of time thinking about what their public image is. Uh, when you try too hard, people can sense it. Mm. and she is the definition of trying too hard i think you know and, and people can really sense it so anyway well, not only not only not, not only uh can people sense it but you end up like creating like in some ways the like what you and i do what a lot of people do and like like public facing like it's performative like you're putting on a version of yourself but like there is some core of you that is yes. in there and then you are tweaking it um yes. to be like I get public facing. It's just a different way of presenting yourself. And with Whitney, like part of what's the, the genius of the show, what's been so like joyously uncomfortable is watching those fracture. Like they it is increasingly clear. Like the public version of Whitney is so radically different than the private, like honest version version of Whitney that you can't, you have trouble reconciling the two. And like, I think as the anxiety for this character is ratcheted up as they are forced to sort of deal with, uh, you know, like people disliking the home or wanting to like, in some ways, like the home is a reflection of herself. And then a criticism of the home is a criticism of like, it's all falling apart in front of her. And I think that's what leads to so many breaks in this episode for her, where she just, she is forced to deal with the fracturing of her cell, her like two personas. And that is just causing her to break in ways that are like, inc- like increasingly, like it is clear that that is not going to stop. That is only going to go, I think go worse and worse as the show progresses. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and we get this, you know, in this opening scene where basically Whitney tries to get them to sign a contract to commit to buying the house is my sense. Right. Um, unsuccessfully, uh, unsuccessful at doing that. And uh, Asher goes over and tries to talk with them as well. And that goes extremely poorly. I think you were like shook by that, huh, Patrick? When yes, Asher yeah. screams at them. Yes. There, I think I'd message you specifically about that sequence because I think it's wonderfully shot because Whitney is, you know, like Asher, you know, saying over and over, like, well, you know, it's uh, he's trying to explain the technical, like he's trying to give us some really Weasley words to try and get them to agree and trying to get them to to, to come on board. And then as he's walking away, like he turns around like three or four different times. And I, I was actually fairly convinced he was going to make it out of the exchange. He was going to go around <laughs> the corner. He was going to get to a secondary location successfully. Basically. Right, right. And, and, th- and that that emotion was going to burst elsewhere like mm-hmm. but it was gonna probably be projected at at whitney or, or dougie or, or somewhere else and the fact that he whips around and like uh, unloads on that lady and then like calls her you know like you know fucking bitch it's just like oh like i i, I was shook by the like the yeah. just like the forwardness of it because it's it's so out of like it is it both is and isn't out of character for asher we see a version the closest we see to that is in the interview Right. Yeah, like in yeah. the in the first episode uh, in which he still has to be sort of restrained because he's vaguely is like conscious that he's still on camera, but yeah. obviously shifts into a mode where he gets tunnel vision and it is just about these and he, can't, emotions. he can't control it anymore. Yeah. He can't control it. And we get a and it's, it's scary. It's scary when someone can't control mm-hmm. themselves. You know, right. That's scary. Yeah. That's a scary idea. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no you're good. Yeah. You're good. You're good. Yeah. Anyway, Whitney ends up deciding that this couple can't buy the house. But it doesn't matter because they left the shoot anyway. Uh, so Dougie demands they find a new buyer, but it can be fake. It's only for the show. So they end up calling Whitney's art friend Kara to be the fake buyer. She ends up putting up a very weird performance for the cameras, <laughs> including lots of complaints about the crime in the area. This was Kara uh, ends up hanging out and bonding with Dougie, who grants Whitney a chance to leave the set and find a new fake buyer. On the way out, she's alerted to a situation at the plaza where they hired a security guard, Fernando, caught stealing someone, uh, caught someone stealing some jeans and called the cops. Inside the jean shop, Whitney downplays the threat of stealing and offers to keep her card on file at the store. If anyone steals anything, uh, they're to charge the amount to her credit card. Uh, all right. A, a, a lot to dive into here. First of all, Kara's performance. Oh, weird. It was weird. It was like, 
is this intended to do maximum damage, you know, or is it just like she just doesn't care? I think I, I think it was just she doesn't care very much, you know, was kind of my sense. Yes, although there was the, the architecture dig. Yes, that was a dig for sure. at the end. Um, yeah. Because I think, you know, I mean, the, there's a moment a little bit later where, you know, when anyone, you know, when when asked about the nature of Kara's relationship with Whitney, we I think you had theorized earlier that the entire nature of this is probably just bound up in Whitney having spent a shitload of money. Yes on on art and then Kara as a result feels like Whitney is a yes. patron and so feels indebted to hang out with her so that she will keep spending money on all mm-hmm. subsequent art. Um and I think Basically, that is Basically I called it Patrick. I called yes, it. yes. And I think that is I that read is, that exactly correctly. Yes. That is 100% ex- you know like uh, exemplified here and like yeah, I can't get her I mean this episode in particular with Kara like really complicates this character in a way yeah, that I can't yeah. I <laughs> I was not Yeah. I thought Kara might have been done. Like, mm-hmm. I would not have been shocked if Kara wasn't in the show anymore. I played her part for this arc with an art show, um, and that was it. Clearly, the show has other intentions. I don't think Kara's going anywhere. If, if anything, Kara might be moving into, like, a, you know, a, 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 a main yeah, character the status. the main stage, yeah. Uh, yeah. In a really interesting way. But, yeah, I, I you know, she's an art, you know, Kara's an artist. She did, a, she did performance art at the art show, that just felt like a natural extension of a version of like her own performance art. It was like, you're going to ask me to BS in front of these cameras. Well, I'm going to give you a show. And like, here's the character I mm-hmm. came up with. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's, I think she ends up taking a dig. How much that was intentional. I, you know, I don't know, but it definitely feels as though like she saw an opportunity to be a performer. And so she performed and yeah, it may have come across as not what Whitney and, in particular was looking for, but I mean, you asked a person out of nowhere to show up and pretend to be a buyer and by all accounts, maybe didn't give them a lot of material to work with on <laughs> what you'd like them to say. Mm-hmm, Cause you seemed mm-hmm. quite surprised by what came out of their mouth. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Uh, the stuff with Fernando and, uh, and, you know, arresting someone for stealing, like we all knew that would pay off in some way. Um, I think it's just to demonstrate the like what happens when progressive is uh, progressive ideas are thoughtless in execution, right? Uh, hey, let's give Fernando a job. Uh, just let him guard things. That's fine. That's not going to cause any problems. But then, like, then he does stuff that conflicts with some of her other values. So then she says, "Okay, well, uh, here's my credit card. And if anyone steals something, just put it on the card. Don't call the police." I have a feeling I know where this is going, <laughs> which is uh, people are going to abuse the system, you know, like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's going to create its own problems. And she's going to be shocked that anyone would ever dare abuse take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to uh, wonder, I, I, I feel like this, this powder keg is still being lit. I, I don't think like yeah, it's gone yeah. off quite yet. Given the amount of times that I don't think we talked about this shot, but um, you know what? It happens. It happens uh, here when, um, she goes in to get a coffee, right, from uh Fernando, and then he turns around to grab the coffee for her, and he has the gun, um, in his in his pants. Um, mm-hmm. after she had asked her assistant to ask him for, I think, the second time to not bring the gun, and so I don't know if it's necessarily going to involve Fernando, but like that gun, cl- like clearly is like either. I don't know if the gun is it's that that literal gun itself is going to cause an issue, but something about Whitney's fixation on that mm-hmm. is building to something. And my guess is it is in, somehow in line with what you're talking about, which has been a show's theme throughout, which is like pro, like poorly implemented progressive policies that are mostly just about making white usually people white feel people better. feel yeah. better about themselves yeah. as opposed to actually helping anyone. And I Fernando. Yeah. I really feel like Fernando's not going to end up in a good place by the end of this show. Mm, I'm, I'm mm. worried for Fernando. Yeah, indeed. Agreed. So, uh, Whitney's search for a new buyer lands a couple that's dining out. And when we re- return to set, we actually learn there's several people who might be filmed as buyers. Dougie and Whitney propose mixing and matching the people there to create their quote-unquote ideal family, but that idea does not go over well with the actual people on set. And Whitney throws one of the production assistants under the bus when the individuals complain about the possible setup. Let me pause here. I've said this before, but like I, I do not believe in uh, abusing production assistants or, or or anything like that, like or throwing people under the bus metaphorically. 
but my sense is also that when you are in this situation, like part of your job is kind of to eat shit for yeah. the the people higher up. You and we, mm-hmm. we, Patrick, you and I, we both metaphorically eaten shit for people like higher up than us, right? You know, like yeah. I mean, I I do think there is like, especially when you're like public facing dealing with people like like you were sort of like front of the line yes, you were sort of like yes. like eat the bullshit you're never going to see these people again and then you right. feed the now, information like not what whitney does is awful because she's like acts like, like my, my my shitty production is you right. know what i mean like no, there's no, better a, good, ways. a good leader a good leader does not do that yes, you know a good yes. leader does not put you in that position and a good leader like takes that responsibility for themselves, but we don't live in a world of good leaders. We live in a world of <laughs> mediocre to terrible leaders. And so it happens very regularly that like, Hey, sometimes the people lower down the ladder, they need to eat some shit. It happens. Um, but yeah, it's another sign that Whitney is, is not a great person, you know? So anyway, as all this is happening, Whitney's parents unexpectedly show up and it really upsets her. She asks them to leave and in the car with them discovers they're trying to associate themselves with her work in order to clean up their image so Whitney blows up and storms off from their car. Uh, anything to say about this? I, I think it's just, you know, we, we've seen, we spent so little time with these characters, but I think uh, clearly the, the Whitney's father's slumlord reputation is going to come into play somehow again in the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you pointed out, we haven't heard from the reporter. I don't, uh, I don't have like Whitney and Asher's show is getting greenlit then also triggers a press release. You know what I mean? Like, I do wonder if part of the reason we haven't heard from the reporter is that that is just a much bigger kind of plot bomb that's going to go off later, whose, mm-hmm. like, effect is not just uh, Asher and Whitney, but, like, involves the involves the parents. Um, I, I feel like we have not heard the last of them being, like, considered slumlords. Because the father, I think, at one point says during that exchange, like, we get something along the lines of like, we could really be really nice to be associated with something nice for a change, you know, or or something like that. And it feels inevitable that the parents are going to come back into Mm -hmm. the picture. Like they feel like they're just constantly off frame waiting to be inserted in the most upsetting way possible. And, And how exactly that ends up adding up. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it definitely feels like they, in some ways, the show is like reintroducing them to remind us they're st- they're still there. Like this is going to be a problem, even if it doesn't necessarily insert itself into this particular moment. But that that blow up that she has there, it, I thought was particularly striking because she we see her Whitney in like various states of agitation or anger. This is like kind of the first time we see her get into a full blown meltdown i mean she she had the fight with with asher for sure and that was like upsetting and uncomfortable but here i mean she sort of snaps right like she is mm-hmm. just screaming and this whole idea of like why did i come back from california i mean it was just it was a really unnerving performance because i think that's maybe the first time we get like our truest sense of who whitney actually is is in that meltdown with her parents um it's the people she is probably going to be putting on the least amount of performance to because yeah. um, they probably know her the most. And so I think the core identity of this woman is actually reflected in that sequence where she completely loses it in front of, in front of her parents. Yeah. And there's a desire for self-determination, right? A desire for like, I want to be defined as separate from you. That is clearly very core to who the Whitney character is at this point. So. Yeah, and they're uh, like the parents are so deeply unsympathetic, but also Whitney in this episode is also deeply un like it makes for a really interesting moment because like you point out, of course, like totally makes sense that I mean children under the best of circumstances want to be have their own identities, carve their own path. That's even tougher when you have parents who are like overbearing or wanna or opportunistic and want to take advantage of like the path that you're carving. But so you can like be sympathetic for Whitney from that perspective, but I think the show does a great job of contrasting that with, well, she's just about to go back to set and be monstrous in a completely different way that undercuts however you might feel for her mm-hmm. in this specific context. So back at the set, they're shooting the couple and the guy starts randomly bursting into song. <laughs> this is a very Nathan Fielder, Nathan for you esque moment. I have to say, mm-hmm. which is, Essentially, like when you put 
regular people in unexpected situations or or not even unexpected, on camera, they will behave in ways that you do not expect, basically, is kind of one of the theses of Nathan for you. And I think that's true of this is like really captures what that is like when why is he doing this? Why did he think it's a good idea? You know, you have all these questions running through, but like you kind of know the logic is hey, this is a big chance to be a star, you know, and uh, people can't resist that. You know, Patrick, you've ever encountered this? Uh, I, I've never sung in front of a camera. Well, not uh, purposely, I believe. Uh, at a... Not have you actually done this. I've just been like, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, people who like want to be famous and they, they yeah. kind of uh, do it in inappropriate ways, perhaps. Well, you know? and I think, uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier the the way the show is shot, right? And so what's interesting about the framing of this sequence is, you know, we have, there are in-universe cameras, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which are the people shooting the reality show. And those cameras are just, like like you said, are inches from everybody's face. Like, they are just so incredibly close and uncomfortable. And I'm sure there are some shots that are wider, but some of those that are capturing like the quintessential reality show, like extreme close-ups, like those cameras are just like, I feel like you could feel the heat off of them. Like Mm -hmm. they're they're that Mm -hmm. close. Um, And it's contrasted against these very far uh, shots that are a lot of the other, more like kind of narrative focused moments of the show. And there's a difference in performance when you like can sense a camera right there. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, yeah. we live our lives being ser- like right. serendipitously recorded, right? People have doorbell cameras. People have outdoor cameras. Like like anywhere you go, you can make a safe assumption that you are being recorded. We don't necessarily act up because of a security camera that, you know, might that we might not we be we may be subconsciously aware is there, but not consciously acting for it. But when you've got that camera right there and. Like, I found that part like kind of kind of like deliciously charming because like the woman kind of prods them like this is it like this is yeah. your moment this is um, it this is the moment and we know yeah. nothing about them like this is all we end up getting <laughs> into the interiority of their right. lives we probably never see them in the show again I've I I loved it I loved how long it went on like there was another great instance in which a lot of other shows I feel like would have cut away like one or two lines in it's like right. yeah we get it. And it's just like no, like let's no, get like no, a full you're gonna, chorus. You're experiencing the entire <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, it's amazing, it's amazing. And you just need to sit there in that awkwardness, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, they also do this scene where they they talk about like, hey, uh, it's this is going to be great for all of us, including the third one of us to come. And then Whitney says, maybe let's cut this for the baby. Now, I want to. My interpretation of it was there is no baby. Um, Me too. Yeah. 100%. Okay. 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 Um, in the notes, it seemed like you might think that there was actually a baby, but uh, I don't think there was a baby. And so, no, I think this uh, is all an extension of invent the you know like Asher and yeah. Whitney have a conversation. It's like let's invent the ideal buyer, and you yeah, don't know right. what that is. So it's like you know figure out and post. So we'll create some options for ourselves. I, I do think if there's any commentary on the reality uh, genre. It is the casualness with which they're just fabricating things, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's like, oh, yeah, just make it up. Like, oh, we don't have a buyer? Well, let's get somebody else who's interested. And, oh, we don't have anyone who's interested? Let's have somebody who can pretend to be... Like, I like how it basically goes from, <laughs> like, hey, here's people who actually were interested in buying it to here's a person we know who, like... <laughs> is like tangentially connected with our enterprises to let's just make something up completely. So we have the best possible story, which is often, I think that is the journey that fabulous go on, right? Is mm-hmm. like, Hey, let's, let's start with the truth. Oh, the truth doesn't work. Well, let's, what if we can do this like truth adjacent? Oh, that doesn't work. Okay. Then, then let's just go full bore and make everything up. You know, like I think it kind of mirrors that journey um, cycling through the people this episode. So, well, anyway. we see our characters doing that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they, Asher and Whitney, when they get the call from HGTV and HGTV, you know, I was like, so, like, those people in the community, uh, and then, right. <coughs> excuse me, rationalize to themselves, oh, well, but that just means we can spend more time on, like, the eco-friendly message. And, and you know what I mean? Like, it's right. a slope. It's where, like, you convince yeah. yourself, like, 
well, I'll give on this one. Yeah, yeah. And we'll take on this other one, but we're we're still gonna like keep that like moral core. Like we'll still right. like have this arrow that you know this the star that we're following. And I think that's a lot of what's happening in this show is what are you willing to give up along the way without recognizing what you've given up on the journey there. And yeah. I think that that lack of self awareness is really critical to the journey that at least Whitney especially is, is on. Maybe the real curse is all the values we gave up along the way. Mm, Indeed. 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 Anyway, the episode concludes with Asher pushing Whitney to potentially sell the home to someone they moved on from earlier uh, because he seems to have a bunch of far right political beliefs. Whitney is upset because Asher cannot seem to get the concept of money out of his mind. Uh, And I think they they had seen his uh, like he had posted an Instagram post of being at like a rally for something that wasn't good. Right. And yeah. it was unclear which side of the rally he was on. <laughs> Don't you hate that when somebody's posting like, Hey, I'm at the, mm-hmm. I'm protesting at the unite the right rally or whatever. And it's like, okay, but you're like against that. Right. Like, you know, like it's, and you just don't know. So, um, <laughs> actually this is a true story that happened. Patrick Klepek. Oh. Um, I will say at an indeterminate amount of time in the past that I will not reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was somebody that needed to do a job for us uh, that had to do with maintenance or renovation or something like that, um, who had on their clothing uh, some very um, uh, inflammatory insignias, <laughs> put it that way. Ah. Um, and literally had a very similar journey to the people in this show where we're like, oh, not sure we should hang around that person or give them our business. But then when you talk, when you interact with them, it's like, oh, they're actually quite lovely. And maybe they're wearing this insignia for a reason that's different than what we thought it was or whatever, you know, like or mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than what you believe. Uh, I-, I love this whole stuff at the end with her interacting with this guy because she doesn't want to shake his hand. It's very awkward. She says, like, I'm sick. And then Asher doesn't pick up on that at all. He's like, oh, really? Wow. <laughs> I hope you feel better. You know, he, like, bring, he brings it up later, like, yeah. like right like, towards the end. Like, yeah, yeah. Baby, you sick? Like, are yeah. you actually sick? And <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, um, there, there was a, uh, we've had this a couple of times over the course of, like, when you've got kids, um, it's very difficult to hang out with people. And so mm-hmm. the reason parents end up hanging out with other parents is because if your kids can have something to do, and be occupied. Like if you can find parents of kids that your kids like, it's like the most ideal situation. And a couple of different times where our kids have gotten really along with some other kids and we hang out with the parents and we've gone beyond just like, it's a play date. It's like, we're like actually like getting together, becoming friends. And then I remember one time coming away from a dinner and I turning to my wife and be like, picked up on a couple of bad vibes about like, like if we scratched a little too far, like we wouldn't like what was underneath. And she was like, well, what do we do? And I was like, we don't scratch. I don't say this has a happy outcome. Turns out like, I mean, no one's ever, we don't extremely, extremely I aligned. I love like, that as a statement. By the we way, didn't so scratch, yeah. but eventually <laughs> you hang out long enough that like life scratches anyway. Mm-hmm, and it turns mm-hmm. out like, in a different, I can tell you, I'm not going to say it on the air. I will tell you off the air exactly what it was. But like, there was a thing and then it explained itself later. And we found the explanation. It was one of those like, oh, thank God, that's that's perfect. That <laughs> takes it right off the table. Um, but I, yeah. I'm, I've gone through similar journeys of uh, uh, being surprised by your assumptions, uh, not necessarily panning panning out the way that you expect them to. Yeah, and that's what I love about the ending of this episode is people aren't just one thing. You know, yeah. you might you you think, oh, you're gonna hate this person, and then you meet them, and they they literally fulfill every single requirement that you're looking for. For you know, and and then some. You know, but you have to be uh, open to it, right? Like that yeah. is, I mean, and that's what's like wild about what happens here is, you know, I, obviously, you know, this guy doesn't completely align with. Uh, with Asher, or I guess Whitney more specifically, who knows what Asher actually believes in? I don't know. Um, but like, he checks all the bo- like he checks enough of the boxes that compared to the other people, like 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 Vic especially that they've sold houses to. Like this guy's probably fine, but she is 
she is so firmly wound up in how she, yeah. is, she views herself, views other people. She's very self-righteous that she is actually incapable of viewing people like holistically as they are. And like that, that creates a lot, so much weird tension in this scenario. Agreed. Agreed. And it carries on to the final scene of the episode. I think she's still like wound up about it at the end. I think that's what we're meant to interpret from the final scene is that she's still upset that her, her worldview has been kind of violated in this mm-hmm. way, right? You know, like she's like, she didn't want to talk to the guy in the first place. When she did, she wanted to have this vision of him in her mind. And then that was not turned out not to be true. You know, so like a lot of her worldview has been shattered, I think. And that's what's going on there. So anyway, uh, any other thoughts on the episode, Patrick Lepic? No, I, I thought, uh, man, what a nice final moment when Asher cracks open the window. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, I, I, I wonder, you know, if that also functions as sort of a metaphor in mm-hmm. the relationship is like, well, I guess I'm cracking open a window now. And like, what does that, what does that mean? Because I, I get like, the does sen- she, Is she actually bothered by that or not? And you don't, and she doesn't know, right? That's kind of what it is, right? And also in, in, you know, uh, Asher, not necessarily someone that I would ascribe the word, uh, brave to, but in the context of like mm. the dynamics of their relationship, mm. for him to broach the idea of opening the window when otherwise he shows complete deference to Whitney and her views and how she interprets the world. And he mostly exists to support that and execute that to then open the window. And she maybe is irritated about it. Maybe isn't, I don't, I don't know, but that's to have that be where the episode ends. I think is a really interesting and telling spot for where they're at in their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very beautifully described Patrick. And yeah, I think that's, uh, that makes sense. So anyway, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, solid episode, solid episode. Yes. And, uh, we are now halfway through and as with you, Patrick, I still have no idea where the show is going and, uh, I'm looking forward to finding out with you all here on decoding TV. So, uh, find more episodes of podcast.decodingtv.com. Support this podcast by becoming a paid member at decodingtv.com. He is Patrick Klepik. You can find his work at crossplay.news and at Remap Radio Online. I am David Chen, and we'll see you next week right here on Decoding TV for another episode of The Curse. Goodbye.